This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. Hi, I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author of Fanatical Prospecting Objections, Sales EQ, and Inked, and I'm here to help you open more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. Welcome back to another episode of the Sales Gravy Podcast. On this episode, I'm with Vera Stewart, who is a celebrity. She is an insane cook. She's a Southern lady who loves the Georgia Bulldogs. And we're going to be talking about what it takes to be an entrepreneur and grow a business and something that most salespeople are totally interested in, how it, what it's like to just not take no as an answer and how that helps you in your career. Before we get started, I want you to go check out SalesGrave University. SalesGrave University is where sales professionals and sales companies and sales organizations from across the globe come to learn how to sell better. And at SalesGrave University, we're different. Not only do we have on-demand e-learning courses, but we also have live courses taught by our master trainers. So you can take a course from one of the greatest minds in sales as an individual on your own terms, or you can come into a classroom with your peers and even join one of our mastermind groups. Right now, you can check out Sales Graham University for free. If you've never taken a course, just use the code free course. When you go to learn.salesgravy.com, that's learn.salesgravy.com. Vera Stewart, welcome to the Sales Gravy Podcast. Seriously, I cannot believe that you were sitting in my studio because the very first time I saw you on TV, it was just a, I don't know, it was a Saturday or Sunday afternoon and I'm flipping through the TV and I, I hear your voice and instantly I'm drawn to your voice. <laughs> And then I start watching like, ah, this lady is cool. She's awesome. So I sat down and watched it and I've been following you ever since. And I ended up at an event where you were on a panel of other entrepreneurs and I, I watched you speak. And as you were talking about building your business, I fell in love with you. Oh. So because I'm, as I'm listening, I'm inspired by by just the process that you've gone through. So that's what I wanted to, to, to get out of your brain today and give to our audience is the process that you went through over 40 years to build yourself into a nationally known brand in hospitality in cooking. And uh, you've worked with all these different celebrities. So there's a lot of cool stories here. But first, my first question is, are you proud of the Bulldogs? Oh, oh my goodness. Absolutely. I just, it's been so exciting to just, you know, go through the process and, you know, Kirby Smart, you know, as, a, as an entrepreneur, honestly, I think one of the reasons I love college football so much is that you can learn so much that you can use in your business from a coach, from a great coach, you know, how they manage their players, how they you know, walk the walk and talk the talk. And, um, you know, I'm sure all my Georgia Bulldog lovers out there will just hate for me to say that, you know, I'd probably sit in the front row of a Nick Saban leadership conference, you know, because he just, he brings all of that to the table. I think that's true. And I think as a, as a leader, it's, I think watching them manage these teams that, consistently win and we'll call it, um, they have the, the durable high performance, right? Mm -hmm. So year after year after year, they're at the top of their game. What are they doing different? How are they leading different? What's their process? How are they choosing the people that they put on their team? I think for every leader, that's an mm -hmm. important lesson to learn. On the flip side of it, for any entrepreneur, sales professional, business person, being able to work with a coach also matters mm -hmm. because we've got the the masters is coming up here in Augusta in about a month. And one of the, my favorite places to go is at the, the practice range and sitting, watching the greatest golfers in the world 
hit balls with a coach sitting next to them who can't play golf as well as they can, but giving them some advice. And right. you were talking earlier about your son who uh, runs an amazing firm called uh, We're Stewart. They're a marketing agency. I work with them as well. And talking about how your son's a great coach for you and your business. And that's like, that's a completely different dynamic, <laughs> right? So his mom and son, but, uh, but you were talking about how being being coachable is being open has transformed the way that your brand looks. Absolutely. And, you know, I'll never forget when he said, you know, mom, we've, we've got to structure the hospitality side of your business to be a little bit more sophisticated. You know, the, the elements of your, that part of your business don't need to be the zany, cute, you know, energetic, bubbly sort of person. I mean, they're serious about what they're doing when they come to Augusta. And I remember going to the conference room and, you know, drum roll, and here comes the Vera logo up there, and the very Vera part of it is missing. And, you know, it took me a minute, but then watching and listening to how he transpired that part of my brand into a completely different look with the sophistication and it, it, it almost sells itself. It's, you know, who's doing your catering during the masters. They always say Vera, right? you know, but I'd never seen it in writing like that. It, it is just fantastic. It is a, it's a, it's a cool, different look at your brand. And one of the things I didn't understand from a branding standpoint is how many brands were underneath your umbrella. So when I, when I got to know you, it was the very, very show. Right. And, uh, and we're going to tell that story. I think you're now in over 40 markets. Uh, you've done more than 300 episodes and it's grown into its own ecosystem, this show. But I didn't know that there were all these other things that you did, nor did I know your backstory. So before you came on, you sent me a history of you. Mm -hmm. And I was reflecting as I was reading this, uh, this, this story, you've got your timeline in here from all the way back in like 1984. Yeah. The and, frosted hair, yeah, the, exactly. the, you know, the so, kind of heavy. But, yeah. But we've got this, 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 I'm trying to find the time, but we got this amazing timeline for you in, in this, in this document. And it, what, what, what hit me was uh, just the other day ago, I ran into when well, I grew up here in this town. So are this near this town. I grew up in Harlem, but I ran into an old high school friend that I hadn't seen in 30 years who had been following me. And she goes, man, you are so lucky. And I thought that's an interesting way to put, you know, 30 years yeah, of you grind, right. you know, until you're so lucky. And when I was reading your, your backstory, and I want you to walk us through the, some of those steps, I'm like, People would look at you. I'm sure you've heard that before. Vera, you are so lucky. But you look at that. That is a lot of hard work, grind and hustle over the years. I'm, I'm wondering if you can maybe walk us through your entrepreneurial journey. Certainly. And just and not just like the steps, but the emotions. Like what did you go through to get to where you are today? Well, I think, you know, I, I use the analogy dream you know, I, I just remember as a child just dreaming about, you know, what am I going to get for Christmas? And there's going to be a car with a red bow, you know, when I turn 16. And I think I was always looking for something to make me excited, you know, whether it was rearranging my bedroom and then I'd feel like everything was new. And, you know, that's kind of how this whole thing got started. I, you know, went to the University of Georgia had to pick a subject that I thought that I could pass. And so I thought, well, home ec kind of fits that bill. And um, then I ended up having to take chemistry. So I ended up making cakes and pies for the chemistry professor so I could, you know, get through and pass that class. But, um, you know, after four years of teaching and having my first child, I thought, you know, I really want to stay at home. 
Um, but I was kind of missing that little element of having my own money and things that I could do with, you know, what I earned myself. So I created a catering business out of my home kitchen. And it was basically, you know, if you need a cake or if you need a dessert or if you're having six people over for dinner, you know, let me do the food for you. And it just kind of evolved over time. And um, in the early stages of that, I actually lived in Cartersville, Georgia, and Joe Frank Harris, who was the governor of this, you know, won during this, you know, period of time where I was developing my catering business. So many of the parties that went on prior to the election, you know, I did the catering for it. Well, next thing you know, he's elected and he got me to come to the governor's mansion and orchestrate the inaugural luncheon. And that kind of put, you know, I thought, well, good night. You know, I could do this easily. So that that's the kind of the beginning of, of that. And I think I always well, was looking for the next back step. You, back you up in that. Okay. So you, you're, you get out of school, you go teach for a while, you have a family and you're trying to figure out how can you do family, do Vera, right. And, 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 and do meaningful purposeful work at the same time. So you start catering for people and, and, and then you get, you get, we'll call it lucky, but you get lucky there. You, somebody shows up in your life that can, that can help you. Mm-hmm. I would say that the difference often between someone who is able to go to the next level in their business and those who don't are that there's something inside of you that recognizes that there's an opportunity in that moment. Don't mess it up. Mm-hmm. Like take advantage of it. If you got to go a little bit harder, or go a little bit further. If the governor says, Hey, can you show up and do the luncheon? You don't go look, I'm really busy today. You just, you go because you recognize there's something there. And when I look back at like the early part of building sales gravy in this business, there were so many moments like that, where if I'd gone the different direction, we wouldn't have had that opportunity. And I'm, I'm curious from your standpoint, do you see it that way? Like, cause I, cause I want to read your history. I'm like, this happened and she took advantage of it versus letting it just slip by her. Well, and you know, I think sometimes people relate nervousness and, you know, being scared and, and not feeling confident that, you know, if you, if you take that leap of faith and you get comfortable with that, you know, not in your stomach or whatever it may be, you find out that you can accomplish that. But if you don't take that leap of faith, you don't know. I mean, you know, honestly, fast forward a little bit and I get this call from what was posed as the cooking channel that I knew was new coming behind the Food Network. And they said, would you consider yourself an expert on carrot cake? Well, she could have asked me, on elephant cake. And I would have said yes, because I figured by the time I need to be an expert, I'll be an expert, you know, so I wasn't about to say no. And as it turned out, it was a hoax and it was throw down with Bobby Flay. And, you know, just in that moment, seeing him standing there and knowing that I was getting ready to be in a competition, the first thought in my head was I'm going to beat him. I- I'm going to win. You know, and and that's why, you know, I think a lot of times it's planting the original seed mm-hmm. of success rather than I can't do this or I won't do this or I'm scared to do this. It's just saying yes. Yes. I, and I, I feel the same way. There's so many times in, in my career where I've had a client come to us and said, can you do this? And we go, yes, because we figure by the time we get there, we'll be able to do it. That's correct. Um, it's a. Uh, 
I think that it's uh, the way I say it is that messy success is better than perfect mediocrity. So it's the it's that it's that confidence to say I can do anything. I can figure this out. Uh, I'm not going to get out over my skis. This is in the realm of things that I do say yes. And I think so many people say no because of that that same reason. They're insecure. They're um, they're scared. Uh, I go back to um, I figured out a way to get into Fort Knox. I had to jump out of an airplane to get there, but I, we were, we were building out the military part of our business. We, I wrote a book called medical military recruiting. And then I asked, is there any way I could go see the recruiting school? And then, and then we got into the recruiting school and I said, is there any way I could go look around? And as we were looking around, I, I saw a, an office and it had a general in it. And I just walked in and said, hello. But the person that was escorting me was like, no, Oh my gosh. You know, but, but, it, but I walked in and said hello and then had a conversation and it turned into something. But, but if I'd have been afraid, they right. might, you know, they might reject me or I might not be able to get in. I wasn't doing anything bad or ugly. I was had a smile on my face. I was just moving forward. I think it's that. And I think a lot of sales professionals miss opportunities mm-hmm. inside of their accounts to ask for more, to get a referral or to see an opportunity to expand because they're afraid. Oh, gosh, you, you know, you're, you're speaking my language so much right now because, you know, we're developing some new clients this year for the master's. And, you know, in that process of working with my team, well, they didn't, you know, they didn't mention that they wanted anything like that. I was going, what do you mean they didn't mention it? We're supposed to mention it. They didn't know that they didn't want it. They didn't know that, you know, and and it's like, well, I don't think they're going to want to do that. You know, these, these sorts of things. And, um, you know, we, we have to rent um, a commissary kitchen that week to provide enough space for everything, all the food, all the prep, everything that we have to do for that week. And um, this time we're getting a big refrigerated truck to sit in the yard because we're, I mean, we're just out of room. And um, so yesterday, you know, somebody said, well, you know, the truck can't be delivered until Friday. And I said, well, why is that? Well, we don't actually lease the property until Friday. And I said, well, we asked them if we could perhaps put that truck in the parking lot on Wednesday. And I said, all they can do is say no. That's right. You know, but, and so guess what they said? Sure. All they can do is say no. All they can do is say no. And let me tell you something. No is not a good word for me. (laughs) I do not like that word. All right. We're going to come back to that because that's part of the story that I want to talk. That's one of the reasons I want you here. So Bobby Flay. So you get you get face to face, nose to nose with Bobby Flay. So just real quickly, what was the what was the experience like? Oh, my God. Well, first of all, he's really cute. And second of all, I mean, like I had to take in that moment that I am on this show that is off the chart rated instead of some new show called Top That Cake for the Cooking Channel. So I had to process that. And then I thought, you know, um, I can immediately get business from this because I was a mail order company. I didn't have to wait for someone to come to my cafe in Augusta, Georgia. They could immediately get online and order that carrot cake. And so just the the, I'm going to win, and it was, I think, the personality part it, like you walking in and saying hello to that general, he probably loved that because anybody else would have been too scared to do it because that was against the rules or whatever. And so I just played in and I, you know, I, I messed with him a little bit. You know, when he said, I'm putting ginger in the batter. Well, I knew enough about ginger to know you're not going to taste anything else. 
As soon as he did that, I thought, I, I got this. I mean, I'm going to win. I'm going to beat him to death, you know? And so I, I think I, I, I could see the vision on what it would mean to win. It takes me back to the third grade. If it was Red Rover at recess and I was the littlest kid in the class, I was going to break through. I was going to find the weakest link in that group of kids in front of me. And I was going to bust through that line. It's just part of my personality. So you win for the sake of winning. Yes. Yes. Okay. And, and I want to make a a point here because there's something that we talk about all the time at sales gravy in our training. We talk about relaxed, assertive confidence. So people have a tendency to lean into people who are relaxed. If you're calm, you're cool, relaxed, and you totally exude that. Like you're, you're relaxed, confident human being. People love confident people. Like you talked about the general Mm -hmm. and I've never met anybody who didn't love confidence and respect confidence and lean into confidence and assertiveness. Assertiveness is you've already decided I'm going to win. You, you believe that when you ask for something, people are going to say yes to you. So many people, they, they ask because in a way that, that causes them to, to basically say to the person, I know you're going to say no to me, right. you know, so it, you, you wouldn't be okay. Would you, if we were to put the truck on the lot, maybe on Friday, would you like, no, you go, Hey, I got a truck coming. It's refrigerated truck. Can we go ahead and put it there on Wednesday? Yes. So you ask it's that a way, statement. right. And, but it's assertiveness mm-hmm. and it's different than arrogance. Mm-hmm. Like, like if you like just hanging around with you and watching you, the, you're the same person on TV as you are sitting right in front of me. You just have this genuine, authentic, like way about you, but you're assertive. Like you, you say, I want this. And with a smile on your face. Yeah. And I think that's the difference between people who see assertiveness as arrogance. Like they're in their mind, I'm being arrogant. Arrogance different. Nobody likes arrogance, but people love assertiveness. And it's amazing. I, I tell salespeople all the time, like you could say, Purple cow. How about Thursday at two? And people will go, yes, mm-hmm. because they say yes to your confidence, not to the message. Well, and I, you know, I work with children so much. I have a part of my brand as a cooking camp that we do in the summer, you know, and I, I speak to these things with, you know, eight years old, six years old, you know, don't say can't, you know, just try it, you know, yeah. to, you know, and so building that understanding of confidence and you can get away with so much if you act like you know what you're doing. I mean, I, I, honestly, I mean, I, it, it's it's proven to be successful for me more times than not, for sure. No doubt. And if you don't believe that, go watch TikTok, right? There's a lot of people <laughs> acting like they know what they're doing and they have millions of people watching them do stuff that they don't really know how to do, but they, they exude confidence in there. So, okay. So Bobby Flay, you're on the show and it changes everything. Oh, it, it does. And, you know, the first thought that came through my mind was that he was in Augusta because somebody was going to take him to play golf. And I just happened to be the, the you know, no pun intended, the carrot, That's right. you know, the carrot and the carrot cake that, that made it work. Um, but that wasn't why I was here at all. And so honestly, that changed everything. I mean, that took me from, you know, national reach to my brand because people, I mean, our website crashed. You know, it just, we couldn't even accept the the number of orders. And then it showed in reshows for like six years. And it, we'd start getting all these carrot cake orders. And I'd say, well, Bobby Flay ran again last night, you know. And so the local television station said, we're going to give you your own show. We'll let you record six shows and then we'll run them in reruns. 
Well, I didn't say anything, but I knew good well. I was going to feel more than six shows. <laughs> so I went ahead and, and planned 24. And, you know, well, if you work really hard, Vera, you know, maybe in five years you'll get syndicated. And I thought, where where's the rule book that says that I can't get syndicated until the end of five years? And so we approached WSAV in Savannah, you know, looking at our data of, of where people are commenting you know, liking us on Facebook and, and all of that. And Savannah was that was that area of the state. And um, they just happened to have a female GM, which might have played a part in the fact that she thought this would be, you know, good programming on Sunday morning on WSAV. And that was our, our first syndicated market. OK, so let me back up for a second. So get off Bobby Flay, you get a shot. The local TV show says, Vera, we're going to we're going to film six episodes, you said, yeah, we're going to do that. I'm going to play your game, but I'm doing more. This is, I want to do this. Like, mm-hmm. I, and, and there had to have been something about being on with Bobby that caused you to say, this is cool. Mm-hmm. I want to do this. Well, and, and, and that, you know, honestly, again, going back to my degree in home economics, one of the classes you had to take was food demonstration. And, you know, I was never nervous doing it. You know, whether it was cutting up a chicken or, you know, grating cheese or whatever the assignment was that you had to get in front of a camera to do it. You know, I, I wasn't I wasn't nervous about it. Um, we film without I have no cue cards. You know, I'm just kind of in the moment. They're saying wrap it up. And I'm saying we're going to finish this during the break. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of just played into it. And it's interesting to me that being from Thompson, that you didn't, you were not aware of like my mail order days or my cafe on Washington Road and that you learned about me from the show. And that, that is so interesting to me because you, you met somebody that's not exactly who most of the people in our area knew originally. And I I love that part. That's true. Um, Okay. It's true. That's how I met you. And but I fell in love with you when I heard your story. <laughs> so you get this shot and you say, I'm not going to wait five years. And I, mm-hmm. and I love that. Right. So you're saying, and this is what rainmakers do, by the way. And I, just a real quick uh, side story at the beginning of the pandemic back in 2020, I'm sitting in East Atlanta. I walk out of an audiobook studio. I had just finished doing the audiobook for my, my book inked. And my phone starts ringing off the hook and it's executives, CEOs, people that I advise going, Jeb, what do we do now? Should we keep selling? Do we pull back? Like, what should we do? Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, no, you keep selling. You keep calling. You keep talking to people. They need you. Maybe you change your message just a little bit, but keep selling. The same group of people were calling me midsummer saying, Jeb, we've got a conundrum. We don't understand this. Mm -hmm. We have some of our salespeople who were hitting all-time records. They're selling more than they've ever sold ever before in their lives. They're crushing company records. And we've got another group of salespeople who are barely making it. We don't even know if they're going to be able to, uh, to survive. What is going on? And as you started asking questions, one group were like you, they're rainmakers. Mm -hmm. They looked at the world and said, you know what? This is the world I live in, but that's not going to stop me. I'm going to figure out a way. And turns out that I can sell more in a virtual environment because I can, I can put more people in my funnel because I'm not driving around in a car. Right. And another group of people, I call them rain barrels that are sitting around waiting for something to change, waiting for something to happen. And in that moment, you could have been a rain barrel and said, okay, I got these six shows. This is really cool. I'm going to have good fun with this. And uh, maybe something good will happen. I'll wait for five years. 
or you could choose to be a rainmaker, which is what you did. And you said, you know, I'm this, I can do this. Like mm-hmm. I can make this happen. I've just got to go find the next station. What, like, what was that moment when you, I don't know if you got in your car, if you got on the phone, but you decided to go to Savannah or get with, you know, WSAV mm-hmm. and say, you need to have me on, you know, on the show after people told you, you couldn't do that. Like, what was that, that like, and how did you, how did that manifest itself into a sales call essentially? Well, and you know, for the audience, you know, being in front of you and, and feeling this chemistry and, and, you know, there's nothing like it. And for, for me to be able at the time, this sort of setting, you know, was not an element back in 2011. So I had to get in front of her. I had her to, I wanted her to see that I was, that I was very serious about it, that I could bring an audience, that they could sell eight commercials during my show for top dollar and that they could make money putting this show on as a barter. Okay. So let's stop for a second. Cause this is important for all the listeners. Very important. You went in mm-hmm. thinking about her. Mm-hmm. So you went in and said, you can sell eight commercials and you can make money. And that was your pitch. Mm-hmm. Not I'm great, no. but here's how I can help you mm-hmm. sell more advertising for your radio station. That's crucial because when we take relax, a sort of confidence and we put that with you focusing on the value that you can create for the person that you're having a conversation with, all of a sudden you have magic. That's right. And that was 2013. And if they weren't selling those eight commercials, they'd put in Ginzu knives or pocket fishermen or, you know, something like that for paid programming. But instead, they're running quality television. They're able to sell those commercials. The show is top rated during that time frame in Savannah. And we've actually, Jeb, never lost a station. We've never had a station cancel our 100% program. 100% retention. 100% retention. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. No, keep going. No, because honestly, if if they even thought about it, I, I would be in my car. <laughs> I would be on my way there. But 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 that also says that you're t- you take care of your stations, right? And you you're you're you stay committed to them. You stay focused on them. And I think a lot of a lot of people take for granted what they have versus truly investing in making sure that those stations who are integral to your success mm-hmm. are happy with the product that you're producing. Well, and you know, as, as I evolve as a business, you know, with the second book coming out, you know, I was in 11 markets when the first book came out and now I'm in 40. So I need to be doing book signings in Dallas in Houston and Austin and Richmond, Virginia and places that I wasn't in at the time that my first book came out. And I think when we, when we make those sorts of calls, it makes them feel like we're thinking about, you know, like you say, you know, why would I be thinking about, about going to Dallas, Texas, you know, to do a book signing. And now we've ended up with several, you know, happening at that time. And, and now we have an audience there because my show airs in Dallas now. And you got to go take care of those fans. Exactly. Because the fans are taking care of you. Right. Okay, so let's let's go back. So you get SAV, WSAV to buy in. Mm-hmm. I love that story. And then you come back to is it was it WJBF? Is uh-huh. that okay? Mm-hmm. So you come back to WJBF. That's Channel Six, right? Mm-hmm. So do my math here. Long time. Uh, it's Channel Six, and you um, you tell them that you've got you've been syndicated. 
What did they say? Like, how oh did they respond goodness. to that? Well, Bill Stewart, who's the general manager, soon to be retired. He says he's retiring. He's said that many times, but he says he is. He has been so supportive of me, you know, just, you know, gave me the break. I didn't let him down. You know, th- these things, these things happened. And I, I think with the wink of his eye, he, he kind of figured that that was going to happen. You know, he just kind of, you know, laid low when I said, well, I actually have more shows in my back pocket here. We can do more than six. So I, I think he's he's always thought that it would be what he envisioned. And he's been my partner kind of in and, you know, making some introductory calls to other GMs that say, would you just take a look at this show? He, he's been wonderful to me. Um, and I, I think, like you say, it's, you know, I don't have a syndicator. You know, I'm the one introducing myself. And there might be something really interesting about that. Like you walking in and just saying hello to the general. You know, there's something unique about somebody actually being willing to introduce themselves and to make that introductory call. Um, I think I mentioned to you earlier that we've landed Nashville, Tennessee for season 12. Well, I've tried for years, but the but the GM has never said, quit calling we're not interested. Your show is awful. And so you just keep, you just keep following up. You keep following up. Closed a deal last spring for a, for a, from a big company that I've been working on one of their divisions for three years. And all I did was every quarter I sent two text messages with two links to articles that I thought would be interesting to the senior vice president. And we would talk every once in a while stayed in touch. And last spring, I sent him a, a link to an article, some things that were happening in their industry. And he writes back and says, I'm going to be in Atlanta for lunch. Can you be there? And I drop everything, mm-hmm. change schedules, move, you know, just move the world. And I go and we have lunch and we talk and then lunch, he goes, Hey, I got something I need for you, you know, you need for you to do for me. And now mm-hmm. we're in the company, we're in the business, we've expanded the relationship. So Sometimes no is no right now, but it's not no forever. And you can't let bouncing off no make you tuck your tail and go away. You got to keep working at it. Consistency is king. You know, when I look at the customers that I've had during the golf tournament for 39 years, they set your watch. They're going to get the contract in August. They're going to get the the menus on November 1st. They're going to get, you know, constant referrals to this is what your preliminary invoice looks like now. You know, would you like to add this? Do you need a golf cart this year? You know, the, the consistency of the behavior that we have shown over all these years is what keeps us grounded. And um, I, I use Oprah Winfrey as, a, as an example. Um you know, if you, if you came to my, and you've got to come to my office sometime. So you come in and you see these articles framed and it's me just sending cakes to like Veranda Magazine and Oprah Magazine and InStyle Magazine. And, um, you know, I know they eat it. I mean, I know they love it, but are they going to write about me? And so again, Oprah never said, quit sending the cakes. I always got a note saying thank you. And we did it twice a year, just like you send those texts. And on the 10th, year, they called and said, we're going to feature you at the top of the O list. It was the May magazine, and it was the only issue she ever shared the cover. So it sold more than any other issue, but it took me 10 years. 10 years. 10 years. I tell the story on stage sometimes about a deal that I sold, $1.2 million deal. This is back in my 20s. 
And I called the buyer 52 days in a row because their contract was coming up and they renewed the renewal period would be for another five years. And I didn't plan on being that job five years from then. And on day 53, he calls me and says, are you ever going to quit calling? And I went, not until you give me some time. So he said, all right, I'll give you 20 minutes, come in. And I went into their office. And when I got there, the director of sales for this big multinational company was in the room and tried to hire me. Like he was throwing down trying to hire me because he said, if I could just get the people on my team to be as persistent as you, we would be winning. And what what the message was is that you earn my respect Mm -hmm. by continuing to show up. Sometimes I'll be working with teams. I work with a number of companies up in New York City and we'll it's like this is the it's the Super Bowl of cold calling in New York City because you're on the street walking into businesses, having a conversation and you'll walk in and they'll throw you out and Mm -hmm. the reps get down on it. I'm Mm -hmm. like, look, you got to walk in there 10 more times. Before they're going to even give you hello, you got to earn their respect. You got to, you got to prove to them that you're willing to show up no matter what they throw at you. So we'll walk in the next day and it gets a little easier walking the next day, four or five more times down the road. They go, all right, come in here. I'll give you five minutes and then throw you out again. But eventually they'll do business with you because you're the one person that's willing to keep showing up no matter what, because you believe in what you do enough to keep, to keep being consistent with your activity. I, I have, I mean, the fact that you're, we have so much in common in in the thought process because I will always say, if you didn't follow up, then what you sent was not worthy. Yes. And that's what you represent when you do not. Don't tell me they haven't answered you. You know, it's it's that you've got to follow up because if it was good enough to send out this information, it's good enough to follow back up. And I, I believe that. I, I do think that there's a lot of respect for the constant, you know, putting that back in front of somebody more than one time, if you believe in it. Let's flip forward to down the road. You've got WSAV in the bag. You've proven that you can go and syndicate yourself. So Mm -hmm. proven to yourself and proven to WJBF and proven to the people around you that we don't have to wait five years. We can do this. What was the next target you set your eyes on? Well, I wanted to have, I wanted to be in every state, as many states as I could possibly get in. So again, asking some of the stations that like WSAV, would you be willing to write a testimonial on how well the the show is going? And so you have that in your back pocket. Um, You know, uh, for me, when I go back to mail order, there was a, um, I mentioned Neiman Marcus was like the original person that had food in a Christmas catalog and nobody else had right. that. And um, so when I went into mail order, I thought, well, I'm going to see if Neiman Marcus will take my product. And of course, you know, they turned me down right off the bat. And um, the very next year, Saks Fifth Avenue decided that they were going to do food in their catalog and they put three of my products in their catalog. Well, the very next year, Neiman Marcus called me back, you know? And, and so then the more of those, you know, then you get Bloomingdale's and then you get Horchow and, um, you, you, you become more legitimate. So for, for us right now, we're, we're in a really good place to be able to say that we've never lost a market, that we're in 40, soon to be 41. Um, more people might take that call, because my credentials, sure. you know, are, are building up. And, um, you know, you don't walk around with, you know, bragging rights on all of that, but you do feel confident in being able to, you know, to, to express these, 
certain things that you've accomplished. There's no doubt. I mean, a lot of people who listen to this podcast or watch this podcast work for small companies, small tech companies, and they're in what I call a green field. Like they're, Mm -hmm. they're selling something. They're really small. They're dealing with, they're, they're, they're fighting against, you know, big Goliath companies, or they're even selling something that people don't even know that they want. I mean, so you've got to convince them that this particular software and they struggle with that. And one of the things I teach them is exactly what you just taught us is Find one company, put a stake in the ground, find one that will do business with you and then use that to, to build to their, mm-hmm. go to their competitors and say, Hey, we're working with your competitor, work with us. And, and don't just bounce off one and go, they won't work with me anymore. I, you know, what am I going to do? You got to put a stake in the ground. And when you get that stake in the ground, you put the next stake in the ground. I'm interested though, when you took, looked at your next target, you didn't say find another station in Georgia. You said, I want to be in as many states as possible. So tell me about the strategy behind that and why you why you looked at that. Because I think most people would have said, okay, I'm in Savannah, let's go to Brunswick, you know, mm-hmm. or let's go down to Macon. Mm-hmm. And you said wide, not deep. Right. And you said, I just loved her voice. You know, that was one yeah. of the first things you said. And I can be in the grocery store and somebody will come over two aisles to say, are you Vera? Because they heard me talking on aisle three. And um, I think that that was what engaged me to think that Southern accent, that Southern food is so popular all over the country. Go back to my mail order day data and California was in our top five states in sales. So why was that? You know, was it because they couldn't get the type of food that in California that maybe they had grown up having? And so suddenly we've got a product that can be delivered successfully to the state of California and they're ordering it all the time. So in order to to grow and and be you know for the word syndicate syndication to not just be the state of Georgia, I just I needed for it to be like at least the southeast. Then the next thing, you know, Syracuse, New York takes <laughs> takes the station and that I mean they love it. And I, I know that my voice has something to do with it, but if they didn't like the food that I was preparing, right. th- that they would change the channel. So let's, I'm going to stack this up for a second. Okay. So let's, let's take a look at this as a strategy. The, again, a long-term strategy, long focus, but we begin with, you have this passion for what you do. So you found something that you really love. Mm-hmm. You stack on top of that, a, uh, just this, this, I have to win. Like I'm a winner, I'm competing. And I look at the world and, and think to myself, I can, I can accomplish anything. Drop it at that optimism. So if you bounce off something, you go, that's okay. I'm going to get it the next day. And I think optimism is huge. So you drive persistence, consistency, you build durable high performance inside your organization as a leader. So all of that is is working. And then you get these breaks that show up in your life. And instead of saying no, because all, all we have to do is just flip back to you get the call from the cooking show mm-hmm. and and they say, are you an expert in carrot cake? And you go, no. And are you are you even equivocate a little bit like you go, you know, well, you know, kind of. And they don't feel that confidence. You don't get Bobby Flay. You don't get Bobby Flay. You're not very Vera, no. the, uh, the TV personality. That's right. So, but you take advantage of those things. You say yes to them. You look around. And then when someone tells you what you can't do, you go, I'll show you because mm-hmm. you're a winner. Mm-hmm. And so you you go to WSAV, you walk through the door and you speak the general manager's language. 
Their language is sell advertising, make money. You sell mm-hmm. that first and they buy you. And then, and this is important, you start looking at your targeting. So instead of just bull in the China shop, let me go to the next station. You say, let's look at the data. Let's look where we have an audience Mm -hmm. and let's start thinking about where can we improve the probability that we win based on the number of fans that we have in a particular market. Mm -hmm. And I imagine as you started walking to other stations, you're walking in with that data in hand. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and then add on top of that, you know, this dedication to take care of your fans. So suddenly say suddenly like (laughs) 10 years later, 300 episodes in Mm -hmm. 41 stations, knocking on the door of Nashville for six years, you're, you're in an enviable position as uh, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, you've built multiple brands. You've got uh, multiple cash flows and cash streams that are coming in. You're well-respected. You ended up in sales gravy studio, which is odd for, for you and us, but this is cool. So it's teaching us sales lessons and you end up in Augusta, Georgia on a stage at an event that I had no plans on going to. And my, somehow or another, we ended up with tickets and a table. My son, young son showed up and told his mom, I felt guilty. So I went and I was, and you're on stage during this panel with a group of entrepreneurs. And in the middle of that, you say the words that caused me to almost stand up and say, amen, right in the middle of the thing. And you said, I don't take no for an answer. And that's a funny phrase because that can, that phrase can be arrogant. Oh yeah. But it can also be, it can be your character. I'm not willing to let anything get in my way. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you said that, I looked at my wife and said, I got to find a way to get Vera into my studio because, because salespeople need to hear this. Now I want to just take a moment and I want to lay the foundation before we have this conversation about not taking no for an answer. I believe that sales is the greatest profession on earth. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it wouldn't be called sales gravy. I wouldn't have dedicated my life to it. Just like you with cooking, I cook sales. Like I build sales recipes. I love this profession because it's the one place in the world where other being, other than being a pure entrepreneur, you can literally point to the stands and call your shots. You make more money than basically anybody. Take a look at all the professionals out there, doctors, lawyers, architects, Sales professionals that I know are making six figures, seven figures every single year, and they're not working nearly as hard as those folks are working. And in a lot of cases, as a sales professional, if you're working for an entrepreneur like you, let's say I was a salesperson looking for working for your company, you've done all of the hard work to build the system. I'm essentially an entrepreneur in your organization, earning commissions, selling mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. without all the risk. Mm-hmm. So it's, it is the greatest entrepreneurial job on earth. So I want to start there. Okay. You, the entrepreneur sitting on stage in Augusta, Georgia says, I don't take no for an answer. That's how I did this. That's how I built this empire. And it is truly an empire. That's how I accomplished all the things was when people stood in my way, when roadblocks stood in my way, when adversity stood in my way, I found a way to get through it, under it, over it, around it, but I found a way. I want to talk about that. That one statement that you made that's so powerful and what not, not, you know, letting no stop you or, you know, never, you know, I never, I never stop when someone says no. What does that mean to you in your world? And how would you advise other people to adopt that same mindset and mentality? Well, in my industry, you've got your staff. I could not do what I do without the people that help pull it off whether they're cooking the food, gathering the props for the show, 
uh, managing all the logistics of the golf tournament coming up, whatever it is. Um, sometimes that phrase is not exactly what a staff member necessarily wants to hear. But if you're my client, you love me. Because if that venue is not ready, you can bet your bottom dollar I'm going to have it ready. No matter what I have to do, if I have to say, well, you got to call everybody because those pansies were supposed to be planted for this wedding reception tomorrow and they're not in the ground. Okay, so let's stop there. So one thing don't take no for an answer means to you is you sold it. Right. You made a promise to that That's customer. Right. And if you're a sales professional, you sold it. You made a promise to that customer. You are going to, by God, do whatever it takes to make sure that your organization delivers on the promises that you made. And and that means that it's going it to be painful for you. It may be hard for you. You may have to stay up till midnight and plant the pansies yourself. But whatever it takes when you made that that promise, it's going to get followed through on. That's exactly right. Okay. And, and you have to, I've learned that the coaching that we started this conversation with earlier, how to educate and and develop that understanding to my team that, you know, like, like yesterday we said something about snack baskets and all the houses. And I said, do we have enough of the actual basket to do this? Well, sometimes we just find one in the homeowner's house. I said, no, we're not doing that. Well, that's the way we've always done it. Well, we're not doing that this year. We're going to have the basket and we're going to prototype it and it's going to look amazing before it goes to that house and sits on the counter. So you you can see sometimes the element of, you know, but that's what they expect out of me. You know, the, the leadership, I, I believe they all expect me to look at those fine points and develop those fine points and make those those things come to life. It's delivering a legendary customer experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So everything matters. All the details matter. All the details. So when it comes to getting on the next station or, you know, selling the next ad or, you know, are working with, um, you've got these national sponsors like Sub-Zero that you work with that make really, really good equipment. Um, so, uh, one of these days I'll be, uh, I'll be, you know, tall enough to ride on the Sub-Zero ride. Um, so, uh, like when you, when, when, like the Nashville people, when they say no, what does not taking no for an answer mean to you when you're selling, when you're, when you're face to face with something that you want? Well, and, and I'm so glad you brought that up because we were actually, um, the original studio at WJBF, Electrolux was home based in Augusta. So when, when Bill Stewart, you know, put that studio together for me to film the show, you know, Electrolux brought those appliances in. Well, fast forward three years and I'm syndicated and, you know, I don't know anything. I'm not a business major, but I thought somebody should be paying me to cook on this equipment, you know? Well, they didn't necessarily see it that way. So I've got several appliance stores that advertise in these cities now where the show airs. And I thought, you know, I'm going to reach out to one of them and see what their recommendations are. And, um, you know, somebody said Thermador and then, you know, one guy said, I think you should go straight to the top. Well, that's my language. <laughs> I thought, I, I think so too. And so we reached out to Sub-Zero and Wolf and they don't do this. They, 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 they don't do this kind of thing. And I mean, in 48 hours, I had landed that deal. And I think it was the fact that, you know, that I, I brought it. I mean, when they said, well, how much, how much? 
is this going to cost us to to be your sponsor? And I was trying so hard not to be nervous when I said what I said. But, you know, it it's why would they still be with me yeah. if it wasn't a good fit? Um, you know, I, I feel like we we take care of that part of, of the partnership and they take care of me. And it, it's just it's just a great relationship. You went straight to the top. Like, so just walk through the door and ask. And I think that's that's assertive. Like that's that's that process. And if you bounced off the top, maybe you go to the middle. Maybe you go here. Mm-hmm. One thing that I don't hear, though, when we talk about not taking no for an answer is that it's adversarial. Like Neiman Marcus, they said, no, mm-hmm. you, you sold sacks. Then you got back to Neiman Marcus. Mm-hmm. It's and I think a lot of salespeople here don't take no for an answer means that you have to argue someone into believing something that they won't don't want to believe. But what what you you see it is as is if they tell me no, I'm going to come back again. I'm going to find another way. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna um, I'm, I'm gonna change my message. I'm gonna reloop. I'm gonna wait my be patient. I'm gonna be consistent. Ten years, ten years, ten years. for Oprah. Ten years. Well, and I, and I think too that it, it, that's true. It's it's not a confrontation, but companies make decisions based on their own internal processes. So somebody may walk away, not because we did anything wrong or they don't like our programming, but maybe they're going in a different direction. And that's all I hear is I'm going in a different direction. Well, you go on that direction for a year and I'll be back. You know, I'm going to be back with an idea. So it, it makes my creative brain work overtime to come up with something that I can approach them with that'll be new and different to show that I'm still enthusiastic, that 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 I bought in to the fact that they made a good business decision for whatever they were doing in their company. They had to walk away from me. But what can I do to get them back? And, you know, we see that time and time again with, you know, different food brands or whomever we're working with. I've got to, uh, you know, if it's if it's a peach, for example, it's only seasonal for so many months. But could I figure out a way to freeze that peach when it's fresh and then bring it out in the dead of winter and do a salsa to go on a pork tenderloin? And then I'm talking about their company in the dead of winter. And and those are the things that I think make me love my job so much is that I've got to come up with an idea that will interest them on how they could be year round product placement with my company. I love it. So it's it's always thinking about what outcomes you can create for them, what value can you can create for them. And, and if you, if you don't do it the first time, come back and think about something up, bring another idea. And, and I think that's for sales professionals. It's not only just to understand your target market, but you also have yourself organized so that you can follow up on these opportunities. I remember uh, this was back in my late twenties, but I sold a company called Walmart and it was one location that I was trying to get into. And my wife used to drive my wife crazy because we lived in Greenville, South Carolina at the time. And we would drive home to Augusta to see my parents and I would make her stop in Clinton, South Carolina on the on the side of the interstate. And I would get out of the car and I would look up at that building and go, one day you will be mine. Oh my and I would get back in the car and she would go, you are such a moron. Stop doing this. But every single time I went and looked at it, I said, you will be mine. You will be mine. And one day I closed it. Mm-hmm. And then when I closed that, I ended up closing every one of their locations, these big distribution centers all across the country. And because the person that I sold there moved someplace else and called me and said, can you work with me? 
And, and then the next person called the next person called, but it was, I knew that I wanted that one. And I can't do that for everything. Like I can't, there's no way that every prospect, every business out there can be one of my customers. So it was, it was for me, it was having a list of my, my top 25 dream accounts, the Mm -hmm. ones that I absolutely want. And then, and, and knowing that if I get those, it's a trajectory change for my business or for me personally, and then investing my time in those and on and those dream accounts and coming up with new ideas to get in the oh, door. Oh, I've got a list. I've yeah. got a list. And it's it's working the list and working mm-hmm. the list and working the list. And I think that's part of the what makes this magic go. It's not just saying, hey, we're, you know, we're entrepreneurs and we're really persistent. We go after this. There's a method to the madness. Well, and and you know, I don't know if this even makes sense for me to say this at this point. But I also think that part of what has helped me is that I've mentored people, even if they don't know it, you know, the, the, the advice that I get, the, the people that I respect, whether they're in business or whether they're in the military or or whatever it is, how they adapt to certain situations, how they conduct themselves, the way that they present themselves in, in an audience. You know, I, I, I love to take my own little notes of, of, you know, what, what I might be able to adopt that they bring to the table. Um, you know, that's helped me tremendously to, to feel like I'm, I'm always challenging myself and maybe use one of them as an example of how they accomplish something. That's yeah. a good, this is a good segue into wrapping up this conversation before we start talking about your brand new cookbook. So one of the things that dismays me. I, I just, it, it disappoints me. It hurts my feelings is when I see people say nothing new here, there's nothing new to learn here. And I see that all the time. Like, you know, it's, um, for example, I write business books and I have a lot of friends who write business books. So I run with the same crowd and we all have the same joker that Joe you know, shows up on Amazon and says, I read the book. There is nothing new here. And you've just written a 400 page treatise on a subject that nobody's ever written a, a, a book on ever. Nothing new to learn here. And I'm so sad for people who walk through the earth and say there's nothing new to learn here because like there should be something to learn Everywhere. Do you know what my company motto is? What's that? There's always something new at Very Vera. <laughs> oh my God, I can't believe you said that. I mean, honestly, that's what that's all that's what I say. Yeah. There's always something new at Very Vera. How do you change your mindset to always look for something new? Always look for a lesson. Always look for something that you can write down and learn. How do you become that human being? Well, you know, you've got those people, and we started the conversation with my son Daniel. And over the summer, as a new parent, you know, basically a relatively new parent, you know, with our summer camp, he just said, you know, mom, we're learning how difficult it is in the summer to have childcare for your children, you know, when both of the parents work. And that's that's a real situation in today's world. And he said, would you ever give consideration to the camp going until three? Well, it's always ended at one. We have lunch. We set the table. We clear the table, we take the dirty dishes to the kitchen and the parents come to pick you up. And when he said that, I thought, you know, that's an idea. I need to think about that. Well, if I was going to do that, then I've got to add another curriculum. You go in the kitchen for part of the time. You do an entrepreneurial aspect where you, you know, decide how much you spent to make that blueberry muffin. 
What can you package it in to make somebody buy it? And how much can you sell it for? And then there is the education part where you learn about nutrition and taste and how to put the perfect plate together with color and texture. And, you know, that that's so what could the fourth curriculum be? And I thought, go back to the University of Georgia. And I had to live in the home management house and you had to make the beds and you had to learn how to fold sheets and you learned how to use the dishwasher and iron and all of these things. So the new 20 year anniversary of summer camp is going to be that those kids are going to walk to my other cottage and it's going to be set up like a house and they're going to make the bed and they're going to run the washing machine. And they're going to load the dishwasher and they're going to sweep and mop and figure out what needs to be sanitized. So I'm I'm so excited about it. And their mamas are going to be so happy. I know. <laughs> and I can charge more. Absolutely. All right. Uh, wrapping this up, this has been a great conversation. Let's talk about your brand new cookbook. Can, can I hold it up? Oh, absolutely. This is the brand new one, right? Now, that's the this first is, this one. Is this the is, first is the one. new one. This is the brand new one. And... Uh, so very Vera cookbook occasions. Occasions. So I'm going to hold this up here so we can see this on camera. I mean, it is hot off the press. This is brand new. I mean, new. it is brand new. And I'm going to get this autographed here. So uh, so let's talk about this book. Tell us about the book, why people should buy it, and uh, and what's, what's new? Because there's always something new. There's always something new. So the first book was the closing of the retail and all the products that I sold as a unit whether it was a cake or a Southern casserole or a sandwich in my cafe. So that's what's in the first book. So what about all my catering gigs throughout the years? You know, the what you had a cocktail party or a wedding reception. So I wrote it by season. So if you're looking to do something for Mother's Day, you would go to the spring section of the book and there are plenty of recipes there. It also speaks to you know, my the first book was it all started with the recipe card and my fascination with the actual recipe box that was sitting on top of the refrigerator that got pulled down. And, you you know, you went to the little tab and pulled out the brownie recipe. And this book, when you open it up, it has the on the very in the cover. It's all the sterling silver. Oh, wow. See? Look at that. See? And so the first book was recipe cards. This book, it all started with polishing the silver. So that's how I knew that a party was getting ready to happen because mom would pull the silver out of the cabinet and all the different plates. So I think, you know, it's, it's recipes that go back through the, through the years with me, Um, you know, certain things that were in my family, uh, things that we have used that are in that. And this is Kat. Mm -hmm. So the renderings are Kat McCall she is a very noted local illustrator, and she did all of my chapter covers and all of the renderings on the pages. And then Peter Frank Edwards, this is a perfect example of don't take no for an answer. When my publisher with the first book, Devil Devil Dicks Dicks. With the Bacon. <laughs> when when I did the first book, the publisher said, Well, do you have a photographer in mind? Well, I have followed this man for years that photographs for Garden and Gun and National Geographic. And I said, well, I want Peter Frank Edwards. And he just busted out laughing and said, well, you can't afford him. Well, I started sending him cakes. (laughs) And he finally called me and said, what do I have to do to get you to quit sending me these cakes? I'm getting fat. And I said, well, this is my budget. Would you do my cookbook? And he did. 
and he came back and did the second one. We're starting to see a pattern here in your life, right? If you want something, send them cake. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's, let them eat cake. That's my, that's my wife's very favorite thing to say. Let them eat cake. Let so, them eat cake. Cake. Very good. Um, okay, so where do people find this book? Okay, you can find it on our website at veryvera.com. It's available on Amazon as well. A lot of retailers in all of the cities where our show airs. And if you go to our website, you can click on show information and it'll show you all the different towns where the show airs. So um, certainly, you know, if you order it from our website, I'll personalize it for you. Perfect. And then uh, to find you on social media. At Very Vera Stewart okay. is the show. And then at Very Vera Camp is my camp and at Vera Hospitality for the catering side. Very good. And that's on Twitter, Instagram, yes. Facebook, everywhere. Everywhere. Very good. Well, Vera, I'm so sad. I'm actually, I'm very sad that this conversation is coming to an end because I, I literally could sit here and talk to you all day long. Um, and and that's, that was the, my last thing is, how do you do it? Because, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I'm from the South and I can't even say hello in less than 30 minutes. And you were talking about how, you know, at the, at, on your, they're telling you to wrap up. That's going to be tough for you. Yeah. And, you know, it's like I always say, no matter what you do, do it in good taste. <laughs> so when you do have to wrap it up, just have that smile on your face. <laughs> Very good. Well, with a smile on my face, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it was my pleasure. <laughs> it's been so much fun. And folks, uh, don't forget, go check out Salesgrave University. You'll find that there's always something new on Salesgrave University as well. And if you've never taken a course there, go take your very first course. You can take any course, pick anyone, use the code free course, go to learn.salesgravy.com. That is learn.salesgravy.com. And we'll see you next time on the Sales Gravy Podcast.